Can you hear that sound? Because that is the sound of pitchers and catchers reporting in for spring training. Yes, here on the Jays Journal Podcast, I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and believe it or not, spring is here, as far as I'm concerned. I don't need a calendar or a specific date to tell me when spring is here. It's when baseball is in the air. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, we're all huge fans of the sport, and in particular, your Toronto Blue Jays. And later on the show, a phenomenal roundtable I put together with all writers and contributors exclusively to the Jays Journal. We've got Brendan Panikar, Jason Lee, and Craig Borden. And you can tell by the dramatic tone in my voice that these are these are individuals you want to listen to because we cover everything in the 45-minute forum that I put together. We uh, we address the free agent ownership collusion issue. And believe it or not, that's a, that's a real thing. As every day there are more and more reports of acrimony between players and and the media and ownership groups and all sorts of other chicanery right at the start of what hopefully will be a prosperous 2018 season. And of course, we covered Josh Donaldson and also a very very close and intimate perspective, if you will, on all things Jerry Howarth. Of course, the amazing, the wonderful Jerry Howarth whom I personally grew up with, and I'm sure many of you listeners have as well, is calling it quits after 36 years of doing a job that I always envied, quite frankly, as I'm sure a lot of you have as well, watching the Blue Jays every game and offering the fans a visualization, inspiring them, if you will, the way Jerry did, along with the late, great Tom Cheek. The two of them, Tom and Jerry, were on another planet, as far as I'm concerned when it came to respecting their craft and providing fans with illustrations that, quite frankly, no one came and hold a candle to today. Of course, I hope that changes. I don't know who will take over, but one thing's for sure. Jerry Howarth left an absolutely indelible mark on this franchise, and the fact that he'll be honored this year warms my heart. So, Jerry, if you're listening, safe travels and bon voyage to all the places you'll be able to go now all the lazy afternoons you'll be able to spend not having to do these games. I'm sure it was not an easy decision. We know that health had a lot to do with it, but we wish you the best here on behalf of everyone at the Jays Journal. And of course, if you head to www.jaysjournal.com, now is a good time to check out the cavalcade, the plethora, the veritable cornucopia of articles that we have addressing what is a very eventful first day of spring training. Site expert Clayton Riche takes a closer look at the pitchers and catchers reporting today, what we can expect in terms of personnel, injury status, and so on and so forth. I say this because moments ago I learned that Troy Tulowitzki, our beloved, vaunted Troy Tulowitzki, whom we can only hope for good health this year and success, is already dealing with bone spurs as a result of probably the surgery. Could be the pressure he put on his foot. Who knows? But it doesn't bode well. Nevertheless, if you take your time, check out our site, you'll be able to find a litany of articles, including our latest analysis of the number one and two prospects in our system, and some would argue in all of baseball, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. That's Chris Henderson covering Vladdy, and Brandon Panikar, who's on our round table later, covering Bo. And of course, we also have articles that look at the summation, if you will, 
uh, Chris Henderson, the other side expert, Jays Journal, took a closer look at the Blue Jays offseason and analyzed it in a way that makes it not only palatable, but might teach you a thing or two in terms of appreciating how much money is left to spend and whether or not any action will be taken over the course of spring training. Personally, I don't think it's going to happen, especially with the whole Joe Biagini, Ryan Barucki intrigue for a fifth starter, but you never know. Anything's possible. The course of these last few weeks as we led up to spring training, there were a few minor moves, including Craig Breslow and John Axford, so there's plenty of things for you to read about, including a great article on the former pitcher and drug overlord, I suppose, for the sake of a better term, Esteban Loiza, 20 kilograms of cocaine, I think it was. Anyhow, be sure to check out our site, and more importantly, we have to take a moment as well to recognize that the Blue Jays will be honoring Roy Halladay. So, aside from Jerry Howarth, Roy Halladay will be commemorated for his contributions to the franchise, and of course, he just did some unbelievably Herculean feats and achieved so much here. Truly, some would argue, the definitive best pitcher in franchise history, with apologies to Dave Steeb. Played, uh, you know, 12 full seasons in Toronto, traded to the Phillies, and finished his career with the kinds of numbers that I think will make him a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, He's someone who's in the public eye for not the reasons we would have hoped, but to commemorate him and, and honor him properly from a Blue Jays perspective will be key in making others appreciate all over North America why he is, in fact, a first ballot Hall of Famer. He won 203 games, lost 105 had a 3.38 ERA, over 2,000 strikeouts, and was an eight-time All-Star. Those are numbers that are good enough in my books, especially in this day and age of pitching, especially considering some of the hitters that he faced who were less than scrupulous in their uh, sense of baseball fairness. Uh, Roy Halladay was truly a, uh, a titan. So let's go ahead now and move towards our roundtable and visit with all these great writers who joined us here on the Jays Journal podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Jay's Journal, roundtable, first one in a while. I was off the air for about a week and a half, and here I am back with a roundtable of uh, Brendan Panikar, Jason Lee, and Craig Borden, all from the journal, all fantastic writers and contributors, last I heard. And gentlemen, I, I want to open this up, and maybe we'll start with you, Brendan. Let's talk about eventful news that uh, transpired today with the announcement that Jerry Howarth after doing this for, what is it, 36 years, started, I think, full-time in 1982, Jerry Howarth, our beloved Jerry Howarth, the quintessential voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, along with the late Tom Cheek, is retiring. I want to get your impressions, Brendan, on that and, and maybe some of your fond memories and what you think about what they're going to do to replace him, because that really worries me. I don't think the organization is prepared for that eventuality, which is now a reality. What do you think? Yeah, uh, first of all, it's good to be back on with you, Ari. It's been a little bit of a time, and uh, good to be with you, Jason and, and Craig. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think I can speak for the both of you and, and the three of you that uh, it's a sad day. I mean, I, I, I wrote an article uh, I submitted for review about an hour before we came on, and I, I poured uh, poured my feelings and my heart out into that article. Basically, like Jerry Howarth has become a part of Blue Jays fans' routines from the beginning of March through to if we're lucky in a playoff year at the end of it, uh, October can always guarantee of hearing his voice. And every single time I hear Jerry Howard's voice it makes me think of the summer takes me to my cottage when I would swim out to my trampoline to lie in the sun, um, listen to a ball game and have a few beers out in the raft uh, and listen to the ball game. It just always, I don't think there's a commentator that had such a, 
effect on me and made me feel like Jerry did. Even in the middle of a winter, I could always feel so warm. Like it's like summer's right around the corner. He just, uh, it, it, it sucks. And I still, it's, it's going to be really, really weird to not hear Jerry, uh, on opening day on the radio. And I mean, I can't really pinpoint a favorite memory myself because I, I do go to quite a few games. So I'll, I'll say that every single time I heard Jerry Howard was a memorable and, and my favorite moment. Uh, it didn't have to be at a big iconic moment like the bat flip or, or Edmonds walk off. Anytime I heard his voice, it, it just yeah. made me it, it feel like euphoria, it was euphoria and like I was on some sort of drug that made me incredibly happy. Well, being across the pond here in Rochester, New York, you guys, I only get the pleasure of hearing him, you know, whenever I'm listening on, you know, MLB.com or funny enough, when we were at my grandparents' cottage, we actually picked it up across the lake a lot of the times just because we had such a good antenna on the house. Being Blue Jay fans, it was kind of nice over here on this side. But what I have heard with Jerry, it's like we're losing our, you know, Arvin Scully, you know, or our Bob Uecker retiring or something like that. It's that kind of a caliber announcer that we just loved and all the great times and those are something that's going to be sorely missed and I don't think we really realized it until you know now it's gone at this point it's one of those things that kind of came out of right field at this point it feels like yeah I do I don't know if it's a case where the Blue Jays went went to Jerry and said we want to rebrand the team it's we want it younger like the team I really just do think that as Jerry himself said that he wanted to continue the career but his health and his stamina, it just didn't allow him to be the voice that all the Blue Jays fans know. And as part of the newest generation of Blue Jays faithful, I don't know if I can appreciate the longevity of his career, but I do know from what I've experienced recently that he is a legend in Blue Jays history and he should really be appreciated by fans. And it's a big hole that somehow the Blue Jays have to fill. Yeah, he said today on the Jeff Blair show, I was luckily I didn't have any customer calls I had to attend to at work today in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, at least. So I was able to listen to uh, the segment uh, when Howarth was on for the first two hours of the Jeff Blair show. Apparently he did mock games this, this off offseason uh, to practice, and he just couldn't last and keep up stamina-wise like he referenced to J- there, Jason. So I do believe it was health. I would sure hope it's not Rogers or what the Blue Jays organization themselves going to Jerry and be like, maybe it's time to hang it up and, and go with somebody else. Ari, I know you're asking about a potential replacement. I, I've started to think about that myself. Uh, the first choice that comes to my mind, and I think the obvious one that people will gravitate towards, whether they like it or not, is Mike Wilner, because he, he stepped in for Howarth uh, whenever he's been away uh, with uh, health issues or just the uh, – the few innings that he took off if it wasn't Joe Siddle. And then I think the out-of-the-box dark horse guy that could get off of the job when he's not doing TV is Dan Shulman, uh, who's no longer doing ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. So I think that I think it'll be either Wilner, uh, potentially Shulman, or it'll be somebody that is not in the Rogers family of networks currently. Wasn't it um, Ben Wagner that stepped in a couple of games at the end of the season and almost yeah. had like his uh, kind of like broke out of the minors and had his major league debut? Yes. He's a uh, Buffalo Bison's uh, announcer for years here, and uh, he's been great. I've had the pleasure of listening to him, you know, because he's an hour down the road here in Rochester. So he'd be a great fit for the, uh, at least the energy level, I think, would be there. 
yeah, obviously one uh, way or the other we have too much adjusting. <laughs> yeah, oh god, there's well, gonna be a big adjustment period. Would it be too much and too soon to suggest someone like a Jesse Goldberg Strasler? You know, not just because he's a friend of the show and I happen to know him personally, but he's got the chops. I mean, whoever steps up, whomever they find to, to fill these shoes, and they won't be able to find someone who can fill them. What Jerry did was truly noteworthy for being something that is part of the old school, the old guard, baseball, play-by-play, and, and, and color and analysis. I mean, he, he was just someone that we, we can't replace. But you hope that this organization, and, and it's funny that you brought up Dan Schulman, uh, Brendan, because he is the gold standard. And if I were Rogers, and if I were, especially on their marketing and PR side, I'd pony up whatever he needs to make sure he does all the games uh, on the television side. But on the radio side, I agree with you. It looks like they'll, they'll, they'll look to Wilner, which isn't the worst thing in the world, because I've always liked his, his play-by-play work. It's the stuff on JSTOC that tends to be more of a political perspective, if that's your cup of tea, from the way it rolls and runs. I don't have to get into detail there. But uh, then you've got Joe Siddle, who I thought has always been a great adequate filler or, or a backup for, for Jerry, and he's grown into his own. I'm not sure if he's ready for it full time. Is it sad that this is kind of like the fading era of the old school announcers? I mean, is there anyone left that you guys can think of that you listen to personally who's still active you know, you brought up Dan Schulman. He's one of them. He's been in the business now for a couple of decades and is still at the top of his game. Who, who else should, should Blue Jays or baseball fans be aware of or mindful of that could still be called part of the old guard but still going strong, kind of like a Bob Cole does for, for the NHL, for, for, for Hockey Night in Canada? Yeah, right off the top of my head, the I can't really think of too many on the radio side, but listening to uh, different TV broadcasts throughout the year, um, I do really like Brian Anderson, the Milwaukee Brewers uh, full-time mm-hmm. TV commentator. Uh, he actually did the Jays and Rangers series for TBS in 2016. And, and he, he also does, I believe, college basketball and a little bit of football, too. Uh, he's been really good. Michael Kay of the Yankees, I've always really liked him and his voice. Um, but, I mean, nobody that I really consider to be part of the, the old school. I think a lot of the old school guys like Jerry and, and, and as you mentioned, um uh, Vince Scully and all those guys. Yeah. Those guys have been around for so, so long that even two waves of commentators have gone uh, in, in their time. Uh, but in terms of current day guys, for other fan bases to just cherish, those are probably the two that I can think of off the top of my head. I, know I can't think of their names, but the Detroit Tigers uh, booth uh, for Fox Detroit is also pretty good. But uh, Brian Anderson and Michael Kay stick out as really two baseball guys. Good baseball guys, uh, commentator-wise for me. Being a person that over the last summer I went to Milwaukee a lot, they played Bob Euchre, his voice, throughout the freaking ballpark. <laughs> it's just, you're walking around, Bob Euchre's still, I think he's got to be the oldest guy left if Howarth is out, right? And well, it, you know him from everything, you know, major absolutely. league movies and freaking Mr. Belvedere back in the day. <laughs> Everything, especially those Miller beer commercials, you know. But as far as things go, I think that you're at the changing of the guard. That being said, let's let's take a let's change gears now and take a close look now, heading into this uh, this amazing, you know, free agent off season experience that we've had, and and that is not officially over because free agents are still out there and ready to be signed. But I think we can all agree something very very terrible has happened. That there are over 100 free agents who are basically doing their own. Uh, spring training camp. I read a report today that they're barring the media 
from actually reporting on it, which I found to be a horrible example of the players union shooting itself in the foot, because why wouldn't you want to show off these players who all have families to, to feed and, and uh, you know, houses and cars to acquire and things to look after, regardless of whether you're a, an accomplished player or one who's still making the league minimum. I want to start with you, Jason. Let's just go straight to the jugular here and cut down to brass tacks. Do you think that there is some form of ownership collusion going on which has led to this horrible imbalance, or is this just a case of a really bad collective bargaining agreement that Tony Clark and the uh, MLBPA should be ashamed they signed? I don't want to call it collusion, but I do think there's some form of mutual agreement, and the reason I think that is because the recent success of the Cubs and the Astros, their rebuilds, owners are now going to their GMs and saying, why can't we be the team that doesn't spend a lot of money, rebuilds, and wins a championship? And GMs are just can't, don't have the same budget because the owners don't want to spend. And there, I think there are about nine or ten teams that are now rebuilding or retooling. And it's just sad seeing guys like Jake Arrieta, J.D. Martinez, you mm. uh, Darvish, mm. who has recently signed. They're still they're they're still on the market, and yes, they're Scott Boris clients, but it's I don't think there should be an excuse that they're still left. As far as things go, I think um, honestly, I think the agents and some of the players asked for this a little bit. I hate to be the person that says it that way, but you've seen the contracts going the way they have been the last few years, and how many teams are really looking for those big budget players right now? Even looking at the Blue Jays, they were kind of at the, you know, we're sitting pat and we have what we think is a very good roster. Were they going to go break the bank and go get Eric Hosmer to come in and play first base? No. How many other teams were looking for him as a first baseman? Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that he wanted nine years and what he wanted in cash. No offense to him, but I never thought in a million years he was worth that. He led the Royals, but... I don't think he's the the guy. If, you're, if I'm no. spending that kind of money on a first baseman, I want Joey Votto. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but then know, again, I, Albert Pujols got ten years, right? They're different players, obviously. Albert Pujols is a future Hall of Famer, but I think he signed this deal when he was uh, early mid thirties, ten yeah. years, and Hosmer when he's mid twenties, asking for nine years. The Similarities. I think he. I think he can have nine years. Frankly. Yeah, I think the whole free agent stalemate, guys, is probably maybe organizations getting smarter. Uh, I mean, just ridiculous contracts people have seen that are burdening teams, like the Angels bringing up Albert Pujols. I mean, he can still contribute a little bit, but he's nowhere near worth that contract. I, I hope it's. A, I think it's a combination. Yeah, as I said, a combination of general managers, organizations as a whole just smartening up and being like, well, why don't we put some more focus on player development because we can get younger and cheaper and be better than a lot of the teams out there that are focusing on signing free agents. And then it's also probably partly on the players too who are demanding these outrageous, crazy contracts when teams are like, well, you know, you are kind of on the wrong side of 30. And we've seen a ton of teams over the past few years get burned by signing big money, long-term deals people on the wrong side of 30 so that and then the other thing that's at play is next year's looming free agent class which is just going to be absolutely insane regardless of who opts in or out of contracts 
Uh, but I think a lot of teams trying to get under the luxury tax for the uh, the free agent crop of next year to really go bananas on guys like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And can you imagine if Clayton Kershaw somehow opts out of his deal? Because <laughs> he can get oh, yeah. way more than what the Dodgers are giving him right now. That'll turn into a bidding and war. And I be, think he'd be silly not to do it personally. I agree. <laughs> Every team is gonna, there's going to be a bidding fight. There's going to be an auction, and you're know, going to have some guy speaking a million miles an hour trying to figure out where Kurt Clayton Kershaw is going to end up landing. And I just can't believe everybody's trying to get under that to get that. But I'm going to bring up another point here, guys, and you tell me if I'm wrong. How many players have came out of the minor leagues in the last few years and been Aaron Judge, Yaziel Puig, that level of player fresh out of the minors? You're talking oh, yeah. about it almost <laughs> that's a whole new flip side of the coin here that nobody would have ever guessed in a million years, but everybody's looking through their minor league roster going, who can actually just come up and swing it right now? And I think yeah. the Blue Jays got plenty of those guys. And that's why they're in this wonderful conundrum of, okay, do we just, you know, grab a few guys to put a good roster together for this year? Because if you look in the next, you know, the 2019, 2020 stuff for us, I think we got a playoff team on paper. If everything keeps going like it has, <laughs> how do you buy yeah. stuff around knowing that? Yeah, Craig, I 100% agree, man. I think like players are getting starting baseball younger. Organizations are really, really focusing on developing their farm systems and bringing up these superstar kids like Judge and Puig and all those guys. And I think we're going to be seeing Vladdy and Bo up here probably before each of them turn 21. And they could probably be impact players too. And you have them under a reasonable cost for six years before they get to free agency. I mean, obviously arbitration can play a factor into that, but um, I think you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Organizations are regardless really with the arbitration thing, though. With the arbitration yeah. thing, I'd rather pay my own guy that I know rather than going out and getting somebody that I don't even know. Like, how many people come to New York and fail with the Yankees just because it's the pinstripe thing, or go to Boston? I know we don't have that big of a problem up in Toronto because the media doesn't seem to bother everybody apparently, or there's you know that you know we're nice to people thing or something. I have no <laughs> idea what the difference is. You all bring up very valid and, and salient points as it relates to how the system is being utilized by ownership and front offices alike to get the best value. You can't blame them for that. But let's just stop for a moment and realize that what's happening will, at this point, in my opinion, lead to an absolute strike in baseball. When arbitration is used to leverage so that you only control costs and keep going out and signing young players because we all know the international market now is at its fever pitch. You find a raw talent in Cuba, you sign that shortstop for $4.5 million, and that's the best $4.5 million you'll ever invest. Why? Because the game is set up to control costs for the first six years of a player's career. If the player leaves your organization, and by the way, if you keep going to arbitration, players will leave. If you keep fighting Roberto Asuna, who, who was an all-star last year, and Marcus Stroman, who is an all-star caliber pitcher, by leveraging your costs, you have, in my opinion, a 0% chance of, of signing them, and nor would you want to because they'll ask for a great deal of money. But the system's supposed to work naturally, and what concerns me, and I think you're right on this point, Jason, and I, I want to know how you feel about this, uh, all three of you, if you don't give, uh, if you don't follow the supply and demand of free agency, then what you're doing is creating a glut of players who've worked very hard to get their free agency status, and then they can't properly capitalize on it. 
even though we've seen teams will arbitrarily do it. The Chicago Cubs did something very uncharacteristic, which is offer you Darvish, in my opinion, a ridiculous contract. For a player with, with the kind of injury concerns that he has, being on the wrong side of 30, I don't think this was a particularly great signing. But the market played out, and he was acquired. Brendan, you and I both know the Carl Crawford and Josh Hamilton signing scared the bejesus out of teams making long-term commitments. But are you surprised that some of these high-profile agents haven't even been given an offer by a club or a serious offer that we know of? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there are some names out there that I'm still shocked to see lying around in the free agent market. Eric Hosmer is one of them, uh, although I do think the term does scare people. Maybe not the money, but... To lock a guy up for nine years in free agency seems a little ludicrous, especially when Eric Hosmer really isn't that good. He's been pretty overrated mm-hmm. his entire mm-hmm. career. And, I mean, J.D. Martinez, I'm shocked, is, is still out there. I mean, this guy's been one of the best power hitters in baseball the past three to four seasons since he discovered it with the Detroit Tigers. I thought for sure he'd be one of the first dominoes to fall. I think Jake Arrieta isn't necessarily helping his case because, as I was saying earlier, people are becoming smarter with how they're spending their money. I mean, the writing's on the wall with Jake Arrieta. His velocity's dropped over the past few years, and he just simply isn't that same dominant guy. He's still good. Don't get me wrong. And if Jake Arrieta was available on a two- to three-year contract at a reasonable amount of money, I would love if the Blue Jays were to pick him up, considering that they'll have three vacancies in the rotation after this year. Um, there are some guys that definitely surprise me that are still there. Uh, there are some guys who surprise me that they're not still there. And I mean, the guys who everybody thought were going to get paid, like the Lorenzo Canes of the world and the U Darvishes, still end up getting getting paid. And Carlos Santana got a pretty yeah. good deal for himself too. So I think organizations are just getting smarter with the way they're handing out their contracts. Though I still can't really explain the JD Martinez line there. Uh, <laughs> the agency case. I think Ari brings up a great point. I think it, the system is flawed. Players are getting massively underpaid for their prime and hitting the market when they're about to decline. And I'll give you an example right now. Marcus Stroman last year was worth 6.0 war, according to baseball reference. And one war right now is getting paid around $7, 8000000 So last year alone, he was worth 42 to $48 million, and he got paid... $3.4 million. And then when he hits the market, he's going to be asking for 25 a year. And teams aren't going to, aren't be, aren't going to be willing to pay that amount because he's going to, they know he's going to decline. And, he's get, and the argument for players is, I'm not getting played when I'm at my best. So how is that fair? Yeah, I agree with True. that 100%. Perhaps they need True. to reevaluate how many years of control you have a guy for. When, uh, is, uh, especially once they reach a major league. So maybe that's something that uh, they reevaluate in the next CBA, but obviously owners aren't going to budge on that because it, it, it works wonders for them in their pockets. <laughs> but it could, in turn, flip on some of these free agent things. If you're paying a guy while he's actually good, okay, well, I don't have to pay Jose Bautista $18 million the last year we have him or something like that. You know, maybe it's, you know, he's gotten his money and now he's just trying to make a, you know, a full career out of something rather than, you know, show up for the first 10 years of his uh, career and hope for the best. I'm going to bring up an interesting point that I was talking to a couple people with earlier today, guys. If you're having all these free agents sitting around on the market to this point in the uh, off season where basically spring training is open at this point, 
and you have all these young, gifted players coming through all these players, our team systems, is it time we start talking expansion and adding a couple of teams so that, oh, gosh, you know, there's more money out there for everybody to have? Bring I back the Expos. I love expansion. <laughs> Montreal and Portland. That would be an interesting leveraging tool, but as we know from the economies of scale with Major League Baseball, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that those players that haven't been signed will will be uh, aggressively recruited. I mean, the market is supposed to be self-sufficient, and, and the whole point behind the CBA was that there would never be owners working in concert with each other, just like there wouldn't be players working in concert. There's supposed to be two different uh, sides of a coin that is in a perpetual state of creating a natural supply and demand. And when you get a whiff, I mean, just the fact that the media is using words like collusion is disturbing. It's disturbing because these are uncomfortable terms to use in the context of labor peace. And as we know, baseball's got a horrible history with that. I mean, I, I spent some extra time reading up on collusion in the 80s because once upon a time, I knew it inside and out, especially when I was studying Marvin Miller when I was in university and everything he accomplished in, in kind of emancipating the free agent, if you will, or creating the whole concept of what it means to be a free agent. And if you think about it, like you said, Jason, it is a raw deal. Marcus Stroman is a six-war pitcher who finished eighth in, in the Cy Young race. And yet here he is making $5.5 million, which if you factor in with what Aaron Sanchez is making, what Roberto Asuna settled for, and the total $13 million they're paying for their bullpen, how on earth do the Blue Jays ever look at fans with a straight face and say, we've got to control our costs? I mean, I'm sorry, this team is investing at a minimal level to get maximum value. And they did that during the offseason. I mean, Craig, when you see Jan Hervis Solarte and Aletnis Diaz and Randall Breichuk and Curtis Granderson, these are all nice little pieces that you can isolate. But doesn't a part of you say, man, oh, man, how frugal can you be, especially when there were players available or trades that could have been made? Are you disappointed in that regard, or are we just going to keep rationalizing every move and thinking everything's hunky-dory? I'm going to give you two to that argument, Ari, because I am a firm believer the moves that they have made have made the team a lot stronger because I think the thing that killed us this past the fact that we had zero depth and the minor league system wasn't quite ready to bear the fruit that you would get to the point where you had guys ready to go in AAA. It was, you know, we were pulling just as many guys out of AA last year as we were out of, you know, AAA Buffalo. So I think bringing in the Solartes, the Diaz's, and the Grychucks and all that is all the better for the team as a solid core instead of having, you know, God, how many catchers did we have last year, including oh, Russell gosh. Martin playing third base last season is just, it was comical how the depth was killing us all year last year. And, but on the other side of that coin, I'm surprised they didn't go out or at least we didn't hear something more about them bringing in somebody like McCutcheon, you know, is, or, I, I think the Stanton thing was never going to come in our way one way or the other, regardless if he did waive the no-trade clause. But anything like that, I just feel like there might have been a few options out there that could have been uh, in the Blue Jays' pocket if they wanted to give up certain things. But I, I really think that they are in the school of thought that Bobachet is untouchable just as much as Vladdy Guerrero is, and they have a few guys that they just don't want to move because they have a very good vision of what they want to do in the next few years. And right now, it's kind of just, hey, we want to compete. How can we get better? Okay, we got a 
good, solid young core around Marcus Stroman. We hope Sanchez is good. Let's run with some of these guys. Build up the depth. Okay, Troy Tulowinski actually might be fearing for his job a little bit if he's got a few people. You know, maybe he'll they'll light a fire under him and he'll look like something like he did in Coors Field. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But I think that the position battle stuff that's coming into spring training for the Blue Jays is only going to strengthen that competitiveness in the dugout and get him moving. But I really think that this whole thing is just kind of getting out of hand as far as the free agents go. <laughs> I just want him yeah. to play baseball and get it over with. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there, Craig. I think the moves that they've made this offseason, they haven't had to make the sexy move to improve. Basically what they've done to improve is raise the floor of how bad they could be. I mean, you're not going to see, obviously, <laughs> as you made reference to, you're not going to see Darren Dar- Barney and Ryan Goins who are both below replacement level last year. You're going to see, you know, Gary Solarte who could open up at second base if Devin Travis isn't ready, or Led Mestia if Troy Tulewiski isn't ready at shortstop. And these guys are pretty damn good ball players. I mean, they're not superstars, but Solarte in his best year with the Padres just a year ago uh, was on oh, yeah. you know, Fangraphs was almost worth a th- was almost a three win player. And you're substituting that out for uh, Ryan Goins or Darwin Barney, both of who combined for I believe to almost be negative two. Like they were terrible. Um, I was surprised and still am surprised that they haven't made uh, a little bit splashier of a free agent signing outside of just one year. I mean, I get the outfield because there's so much potential coming up through the system in Buffalo and that next year's roster is going to look a lot different. So they only needed to patch it up for a year before the the whole ro- a lot of the roster will be overturned for some of the younger guys coming through. It still was a little bit of a patching some holes kind of job by Atkins and Shapiro because the next wave of players just isn't quite ready yet. But I, like, there's still obviously money to play with. I mean, that's why they're still being linked to free agents. I just, as of right now, I would be still very much surprised if they don't sign a free agent starter. And I'm sure as hell hoping that that's a little bit better than Andrew Kashner, who, sure, yeah. he had a 3.40 ERA last year, but his FIP and everything like that was getting up towards five and his contact rate is just terrible. Like people were, he, he, I don't know how he escaped with a 3.40 ERA last year, but uh, I, I just don't think they had to make the sexy move this off season. They, they're really gambling on this current core to bounce back with health and injury. And if they don't, they'll trade them and uh, we'll see the next wave up in July. It's hard to believe how many question marks there are. I mean, I'd really like to focus on the positives. And, and Brendan, you, you succinctly put it together. If the wins above replacement are added up on an average year from the depth players, you are light years ahead of the black hole, the cavernous empty spaces we had on the field last year. Which is why imagining a first week of the season where your infield is Justin Smoke, Devin Travis, Troy Tulowitzki, Josh Donaldson, and Russell Martin sounds pretty damn good. Even though they're older, and even though they've got something to prove, just knowing they're there, I think, would bring a lot of um, almost catharsis to Blue Jays fans. How long they play together is a whole different story. But I don't remember a time where there were so many players coming into spring training who had so much to prove. And really, it's everywhere. It's not just the infield with all the players I just named. 
It's also Kendris Morales, who, if he doesn't prove that he can hit in the first two months of the season, might not even last the year because he's so intractable and doesn't bring you anything other than what should be a couple of wins above replacement as a DH in, a, in an average Kendris Morales year. But then we throw in Aaron Sanchez and his return. We haven't even talked about Happen Estrada, whom we assume will be relied upon for quality innings, but we don't know if their health will allow them to do that. Hopefully, knock on wood, it all works out. When, when you think of the players coming to spring training, and I got asked this when I was on the radio, I was on Vancouver 650 a few days ago, and Dave Sheldon asked me who my pick was, and I mentioned Anthony Alford for so many reasons that you guys have heard me gush before. Let's go around the table, starting with you, Jason, and then maybe uh, Craig and then Brendan. Give me your hopeful Blue Jays prospect or up-and-coming invitee to spring training whom you hope will break out, whether it's a Jansen, a Baruki, a Guriel, just someone that you'd like to see take the next step and make it that much more exciting for Blue Jays fans to know that they've already got depth resources and so much going for them. Yeah, this is someone that we saw last year for a bit, um, and it's Tim Meza. And why I want him to break out is the Blue Jays mm-hmm. really lack a left-handed reliever in their pen that can get an out against a Chris Davis the the power of left-handed bats in the American League East. And let's say Tim Mesa steps up to be that guy, and that's a stellar year. Then he's cheap, he's controllable, he's young. And frankly, I've heard nothing but positives about him. And when I saw him pitch, he has all the stuff to be a power reliever. And I just hope that if he takes the next step, then I truly believe that the Blue Jays' bullpen is, I think, top five in the American League. Yeah, no, Tim Mason, that's a great answer. Um, I'm going to go, uh, and this is kind of a two-part, uh, it's kind of a, a package deal. It's Ryan Barucki and Danny Jansen. Especially, <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> 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 Luckily, I got the interview then at, at uh, Winterfest, but wasn't allowed to post that because of the same side of the rules, which was a little upsetting. Worst rules anyway, ever, Brendan. I'm with you. I, yeah, it, it's it's pretty annoying, and I, I vented my frustrations on that to uh, to Chris and Clay. But I, I really like really, if the Jays don't add a starter um, before spring training, um, Joe Biagini right now, I'm a little more optimistic than most that I've seen on, on Biagini. But at the same time, I have a hard time believing that he will end up being a even a, a quality fifth starter. Um, I would much rather see him in the bullpen, but it does seem like Ryan Baraki is the next guy to come up after Giagini, uh, or the, I guess the first guy up from uh, the minor league system. And, and him and Danny Jansen both shot through the system together last year. They both know each other really well, and that also ties into the fact that the Blue Jays right now currently are going to have Luke Maley open up as their backup catcher. Danny Jansen already could probably give much more than Luke Maley. So in terms of the guys that will come up and have an immediate impact, I'm really, really, really looking forward to seeing Ryan Barucki and Danny Jansen work together once they get up to Toronto. First, I have to say I'm with Brendan, and I have a man crush on Ryan Barucki and Danny Jansen as well. Just I watched them play in New Hampshire last year a couple of games, and I followed them all the way through Buffalo here playing against the Rochester Red Wings. And – Talking to Jesse Goldberg Strassler, he's like, you got to follow Baraki. He's one of the coolest guys you're ever going to meet. <laughs> I got to meet him a, probably about two days before uh, Brendan met him at the Winterfest thing. And then um, I, they had a similar event here with the Buffalo Bison, just the state of the Meyer League system. 
that I w- was able to attend. But um, the one guy I'm also really interested in seeing, and another guy that shot up through the ranks last year, Carlos Ramirez. The guy threw how many scoreless innings throughout the minor leagues, and then he kept that streak going into the majors last last year for at least seven innings, if I recall, right off the top of my head. But the guy's got an electric arm. He We got to see a glimpse of it last season. I really would like to see him come and storm his way into this picture in the spring training and, see it, and make sure he solidifies himself as one of those guys as a power right-handed arm in the middle of that bullpen. I would love to see Danny Jansen get the backup catcher spot, but I'm worried about him getting enough at bats. So unless you're literally going to do what we were alluding to a minute ago and kicking Kendris Morales off the roster to let Russell Martin DH a few days a week while Danny Jansen catches, I really think he's going to be destined to start the season in Buffalo, where I think Barucki actually has a really good shot at being the fifth starter. Here's something that I want to point out uh, and get your guys' opinion on. I was just thinking about it because Jason and Craig, to come and see with you guys, have been bullpen, and they definitely need to replace what they lost in Dominic Leone, and there seems to be a few more holes and question marks whether Danny Barnes and Tapera can do what they did last year. <laughs> in terms of the non-roster invitees and, and minor league signings that they've made for the bullpen, is anybody as excited about the potential of Jake Petrichka as I am? Because this guy can throw gas and was once, just a few years ago, really highly touted with the White Sox. So I think Jake Petrichka... Uh, going off of guys that aren't in the system, but guys who will be in camps is one guy that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on this off season or this uh, spring training. You wrote an article recently on the Jays Journal, uh, Brendan, of course, with uh, Bo Bichette as our number two ranked prospect. I don't think we need to guess who number one is on the list. But hearing all these names, hearing the three of you talk about these potential raw, exciting, young, sometimes elite prospects, You've got to think that next year's spring training will be absolutely beyond surreal considering it'll come hot on the heels of uh, a free agency the likes we've never seen. And the Blue Jays suddenly go from a position of weakness to complete and utter strength with not only payroll flexibility because they can shed some payroll, especially on the pitching side. I guess it makes me scratch my head and say, say, wow, imagine if they didn't have the long-term Albatross, Martin, and Tulewitzki contract because this team has no excuse whatsoever to compete with this amount of young talent. Uh, is that statement a little too outlandish at the stage in the game, Brendan, or given what you know about these prospects and what you've been writing about, uh, this is a team that will be trending upwards, whether it likes it or not. Oh, hundred percent. I think they're going to be trending up. So uh, next, next spring training is going to be like one we haven't seen for quite a while. Mm. I mean, the only homegrown position player on the current roster that came through the system. That's not a pitcher. It's Kevin Pillar. That just speaks that just speaks volumes as to how much potential for homegrown players we're going to have next year with Anthony Alford and, and maybe even Vladdy Jr. And, and Danny Jansen. And a bunch of these guys who the Blue Jays drafted and developed that are finally going to be starting to take over for the current core. But as you alluded to, Ari, they're going to have some financial flexibility where, yes, they're on the uprise. Yes, they could be very good as soon as next year with the young guys. But with the uh, whole bunch of contracts coming off the books at the end of the season, you got to think that one or two bigger free agent signings could happen next year and really solidify themselves as a contender because their young core potentially 
could mat- match up with the likes of the Red Sox. I'm not going to go to the Yankees because their young core is ridiculous, but they could come close to matching up with the uh, the young core of the Red Sox with a few veterans sprinkled in there on uh, on, on contracts. And not to beat a dead horse, but is Josh Donaldson part of that future you would do? It's actually really interesting because Ross Atkins said they had a number in mind for Josh Donaldson, considering all the factors, including decline, leadership, what he's meant to the organization so far. But then Josh Donaldson goes on to say that he hasn't received a contract. So that just brings up my curiosity, saying what's happening? Is there some sort of communication that's being lost in between? And even with the uh, Heyman thing, it's just really curious as to what's really happening between Josh Donaldson and the Blue Jays. Hmm. I wonder if maybe uh, I I do believe there is a number that they would be comfortable giving Josh Donaldson to keep him here past this year, but I think that all depends on what they do come July thirty first. What not going to offer? What number would you use, Brendan? What is that number? Uh, I don't know. It's tough because one thing, like part of our earlier conversation in terms of how front offices are getting smarter. One thing I wanted to bring up, which I'll bring up now, is I think front offices are now starting to shift their focus on they're not going to pay players for what they've done in their career. They're going to pay players for what they're going to give you down the road. And I don't know what the Blue Jays think with with regression and age and and whatnot that Josh Donaldson will still be able to put up the MVP kind of numbers he has. I don't like I want to say 20 per year, but I think he could command more on the open market. Um, I don't know if it goes much over than 25. I think ideally you're looking at a three to four year deal on 20 million per, but again, I think Josh Donaldson can get more than that. Um, I think the Josh Donaldson thing, they're going to want to avoid what they just did this past off season with Edwin and Carlson. They gave him the most money from everything that we've been taught. But um, as far as it goes, he ended up with the Indians uh, I think they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that they get Josh Donaldson back. But what I'm thinking is maybe they haven't given that number that they have in mind to Josh Donaldson yet is maybe because they're not done with this offseason yet. And that Josh Donaldson discussion is still, in all reality, next offseason's problem. Yes, it'd be nice to get it out of the way right now and have some you know, continuity and things for sure, but maybe there's still something cooking that we are completely unaware of. And we're just going to be like, Oh yeah, by the way, Hey, you know, here's your new right fielder or your brand new starting pitcher before spring training is over with here. And I just hope that that doesn't mean we're shipping the farm or anything. Cause as we've all been discussing here, spring training next season is going to be basically a freaking Mad Max movie with the Thunderdome where everybody's going to be fighting out for a position. And I think that's honestly the best thing you could get for the organization at this point. You have all the young talent together, let them play. They've already been all together. They know what each other can do, and just let them hash it out and figure it out where they need to play. Some of these guys don't even have full positions yet. Bo Bichette going to stay a shortstop? We don't think Vladdy's going to stay a third baseman. Where's he going to end up? There's going to be a lot of conversations heading into next offseason, and I would hope that they have this Josh Donaldson thing completely figured out. Yeah, I, I think basically the thing is why they haven't offered a contract yet is to keep the possibility of trading him still out there. I mean, if you offer it and it's a number that he's like, yeah, okay, I'll stay. I love Toronto. Uh, my girlfriend's from here. Uh, and I think it's a fair number, uh, especially now that I'm getting a little bit older. Um, but I also really want to stay in the city. 
Um, if he accepts that, then you can't trade him. And if it's, a, if, if it's in a down year when he's having an outstanding year, if he's fresh off a four-year deal, then yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to trade him at the deadline. Um, so if, if he's still here post-deadline, then I think we'll start hearing uh, some more chatter that uh, talks have picked up between the two sides. And I think in all likelihood that will remain the, um, the real hot-button story uh, the real point of potential controversy for the Blue Jays, hopefully not to detract what the team is trying to do, which is provide us, the fans, with with high-quality baseball and a chance to at least stay in the race until September to challenge for a wild-card spot. But the Blue Jays have never, with maybe the exception of when they were discussing Roberto Alomar and his future with the team, the Blue Jays have never been faced with a game-breaking player of this caliber. And what's fascinating is you all have mentioned on this on this great roundtable that we've had, um, next year's free agency period will be a game changer, as will the Blue Jays' decision of what to do with all this great, young, burgeoning talent. But hopefully this spring training will get a better idea of what the team will look like. It's almost like a window into the future. That's why I love spring trainings. They always give you a glimpse of what is to come. And as you pointed out, Brendan, with the exception of Kevin Pillar, not very much has come through. And so this is fascinating to see Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins metamorphosize this team from the Anthopolis acquisitions, the even going back to J.P. Ricciardi, picking up all these players that hopefully will work. Now there's a real concerted effort to not blow the farm, if you will, by trading away assets or signing unmovable contracts. So it's great that baseball's back and we'll have no shortage of things that we can talk about here on the show. Let's go around the horn, give you all a chance to talk about some articles that you're working on or that you've recently published so people and fans of the show can, can find you on social media. Let's go with Brendan, Jason, and then Craig to round us up. What have you been working on and uh, what have you got in the uh, in store for us? Yeah, thanks, sorry. Um, I just as uh, I mentioned earlier on the show, submitted an article on uh, Jerry Howard and just just kind of get uh, my own personal tribute to him and and how much of an impact he's had on me um, throughout my fandom as a Blue Jay uh, fan. I started back in 2005 um, and listening to him almost every day. In terms of what's coming up, um, I'm sure I'll have something over the next few days. Uh, probably something to do with who's still out there, free agent pitching wise. Uh, either that or looking into potentially what Joe Biagini would be able to give them as a fifth guy and whether signing an Andrew Kashner or or a guy of that ilk is even worth it because maybe Joe Biagini could give them equal or amount for cheaper. And it's funny we say cheaper because we had that whole big discussion. But uh, <laughs> that's probably what's working next. And then, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Panacar37. Yeah, an article I have in mind uh, while we're coming off the Donaldson talks is how the Blue Jays could possibly structure a Donaldson extension. And a spoiler here is that I was planning on the Blue Jays offering some sort of three- or four-year guarantee. And after that, they just add multiple, multiple vesting years where, let's say, mm-hmm. if Donaldson hits 30 home runs, the next year, automatically, he'll be under contract if he wishes for 20 to 25 million. And it's it's an idea that I got from how the Red Sox handled the sit there situation with David Ortiz. And I think it could be a creative idea to re-sign Josh Donaldson. Bobby Bonilla, that's all I'm going to say. I knew you were going to say that before. You <laughs> uh, already know me too well. This is how it is, I guess. I, I I'm just that guy. 
Oh, come on. The Nationals did with Max Scherzer. I'm sure we can figure it out with Josh Donaldson. Same kind of player, right? As far as best in their position. Insane, right? <laughs> so right now I'm working on a spring training article that I kind of love to do every year. And it's just pointing out some, hey, random things that could happen, you know, just to get everybody chit-chatting and talking, like my way out of control predictions type of thing. Um, also, I'm excited to say that we just, um, Adam Corsera, the South and Sixth podcast, and I have been coursing behind the scenes here trying to get something off the ground. And we announced it on Sunday that we're going to be doing what we call the bird watching game cast. And the idea is we're going to be on the rate are on a podcast live during Blue Jay games, certain ones, probably weekend games during the afternoons just to start off. And him and I are going to kind of broadcast the game and chit chat Blue Jays prospects and spring training stuff, probably the first episode. But the idea is we're going to be having an interactive fan show where everybody can tweet in and chit chat with us while we're going to be doing the game. So it's going to be exciting, and I hope that eventually I will get all you guys on, too, just to goof around and hang out and talk. I want it to sound like we're uh, in a bar together watching the game, talking about what is actually happening, throwing beer and peanuts around, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be exciting. Well, gentlemen, this has been a phenomenal roundtable. You've been listening to the best of the best at Jay's Journal for our writers and contributors, represented lovingly this evening by Craig Borden, Jason Lee, and Brendan Panikar. Be sure to check out their excellent work. Gentlemen, thank you again for joining the Jay's Journal Podcast Roundtable. Thanks again, as always, Ari. Thanks, Ari. Appreciate it, man. Thank, thank you. you.